Just say no, we're live on the internet. You're, you're welcome to come talk to me. I'm just letting you know that people can hear it. <laughs> yeah, I like it. You should wear it more often. All right. We are getting ready. Praise the Lord. All right. Well, if you are ready, uh, whether you're ready or not, here we come, right? We are getting ready to jump into uh, the closing of the Sermon on the Mount. Um, if you don't know what that is, it, this is considered probably like one of the most popular texts in all of Scripture. In fact, um, there's a quote from the Sermon on the Mount that, that we'll get into, uh, I think, yeah, um, where he says, do to others what you'll have them do to you. What, what's interesting is that I've heard people say like Jesus didn't like make that up or anything like that, but uh, like other like more secular people um, that maybe they're the ones that came up with it. And that, you know, because it, it, it's a common philosophy, like it's yeah, even like secularists or atheists would be like, yeah, you should be nice to other people. And if you do, then they'll be nice back to you. The uh, it's the golden rule. Yep. And what, what's interesting is that as Christianity began to rise within the Roman Empire, uh, there was actually a Caesar that liked it so much. But at the time, nobody else had, had, had it, there wasn't a saying like that, that kind of like oversaw like a way of living to the degree and like encompassed so much like this saying. And so he actually had the golden rule inscribed uh, on something like super important. And like, if you like to read Roman history, you can actually find that there. I think, I thought that, that was really interesting, but um, th this is a, a really interesting section of scripture, right? Because one of the things Dan, Pastor Dan talked about on Wednesday, right? Was that in, in many ways, uh, Jesus is sort of like handing down a new kind of like law. It, like Moses handed down when he came down on the mountain, right? Like he got 
the Ten Commandments. He got the Old Testament law on a mountain. He brought it down. Uh, you know, and here we have on another mountain how Jesus, the, the word is typology. I think it's a silly word, but whatever. That's just because I don't understand it very well. Uh, but it it basically represents, it's to say that Jesus and Moses are very similar. Uh, if, if you're into books, you would say that they're a typology. I, I think that, that the intention was all along, God was using Moses as a prophetic act for Jesus to come. To show when Jesus says that the law and the prophets are fulfilled through Jesus, this is, this is what he's talking about. Uh, we're seeing here, um, my dad always would say that what Jesus does here is actually takes the law and makes it even more hard in, in so many ways. Because the law really has more to do with, it does have to do with faith, but by far it has more to do with actions, which is why so many people believe that works uh are what saves you. That's that's why so many people, even within the Jewish community, uh, believe that it was their works. But even all along, when you read the Old Testament, you can see very clearly it was the faith always that led to the works. But sometimes we get it backwards and we think we just do the faith, the, the works. And because of that, because I do the works, I have the faith. That's not always the case. Our faith should be the product or should produce uh, the fruit of works, good works. Uh, but we see here that Jesus like starts messing with people's minds and he starts telling people that it's not just what you do, but it's what you think. It's what you what's in your heart that also matters that before God, you you will be just as convicted for whether you did it or not. If you wanted to do it. Like that's that's crazy, like to think that you could be prosecuted before a holy and righteous judge knowing fully well that you wanted to do it, so therefore you're guilty. That's nuts. <laughs> uh, I don't know um, a whole lot of people that would be excited about that. Uh, but one of the themes that you see in the Sermon on the Mount is this concept of God as Father. Uh, and so today, I wanted to, I, I recognize fully that um, not everybody, especially anymore, not everybody grows up with a good dad. Uh, not, most people don't even grow up with a dad at all, let alone a good dad. Um, so today, I just want to take some notes. What are some things when you see the the, the the word father? What are what are things that you think about? Like in general, uh, what are some things that you think about when you think of the word father? Protection. Discipline. Teacher. Yeah. Fear. Fear? Is that all capitalized? <laughs> Fear. Defender. Defender. Yeah. Anything else? A comforter, sure. Yeah, some dads are very comforting, more so than moms sometimes. Yeah. It's not as common, but yeah, absolutely. That doesn't mean they shouldn't try, right? Yeah. Uh, anything else? Like, what comes to your mind when you think of dads? 
or fathers. We'll have more people coming in and they can contribute too. We'll be like, you're on the spot. Like from our personal experience? Yeah, yeah. Things from your personal experience too, yeah. Uh, I would say unsafe. So, what well, we did, yeah. We're, we're just asking, when you think of the word father, what are adjectives, what are things that come to mind? Uh, so these are some of the ones that we have. Protector and defender, comforter, leader, discipline, teacher, fear, unsafe. <laughs> things that you think about when you think about your dad. For me, I think about this. Friend. Uh, okay, whatever. Sorry. You're... I, I think about tractors. <laughs> uh, you said friend? Yeah. Good yeah. Li good listener. Good listener? Okay. I think about tractors. My dad is a hobby farmer. We've, we've always, uh, when I was little, um, I, don't, I don't know, I think I was just born into it, but my dad always had tractors, and we oftentimes had lawn cares, uh, we did, we, there's something called bush hogging. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, but it's basically where you just mow giant fields with a tractor. Mm -hmm. uh, they have an even bigger mower. Yeah, so we did a lot of that growing up. Uh, I, we had one of the first X marks. I don't know if you know what that is, but it's a zero turn mower. We had one of the first ones when I was a kid. And I, like, I remember thinking like, they go so fast. You can do wheelies. Sorry, dad, if you're listening. Uh, what? Hero. Hero, sure. Yeah. yeah. Inspirational. Uh, like a... What's like a word that somebody to look up to? Um, like a what? Like all those yeah, like all those other things. Role model. Role model. There we go. Thank you. Or, or you could even say like a mentor, right? Yeah. Mentor. I can't. I'm trying to come up with the word of connect, but corrector. A corrector, like a dis, like discipline, or discipline. yeah, yeah, yeah. That's good. Healer. Healer. Is that what you said? But Dan's dad's a doctor. Well, he was. Well, they comfort. Sure. Is what I meant by that. Other things that dads dads are. Rough. Rough. Sure. Yeah. Tough yeah. 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 Anything else? Faith, what do you think? You don't you don't have any words that describe a dad? Preacher. Preacher? Not just as sermons, but they preach. They tell you to practice what you preach. Oh, sure. Right. Mine, mine wouldn't be very good. So. It's okay. <laughs> Throw them out there. Well, I mean. You don't have to describe your dad, right? You can just describe a dad. Absentee. Sure. But I'm, I'm not describing God. I'm just. This is, not, this is not necessarily God. Okay. This is. We're not talking about God. We, we're going we're to. We're just talking about things. When you think of the word father, what do you think of? 
absentee? Uh, he said step. Yeah, step in. Yep. Taking the case to the Sure. Because my stepdad, he showed me what a real father should be. Sure. Anything else? What? What? Well, these, these are words that describe the dad. What feelings come to mind when you think of fathers? When you think of um, a dad? When you think of your dad? Like, what are the feelings that come to mind? Happiness. Okay. Yeah. Okay. What? Scorn. Okay. Scorn. Yeah. No, sure. Yeah. What about uh, angry? Sometimes. Does anybody ever feel angry when they think of their dad? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Love. Remorse. Love. Hey, Faith. I got. It. Look at that. Woo! You gave a contribution. Remorse. Remorse. Sure. Regret. Yeah. Scared. Scared. Sure. Shepherd. A shepherd? Melancholy? What does that mean? Sadness. Me melancholy is like. Uh, Between sadness and depression. Well, it, it's, it can be, but they could also just be like low. Uh, what do you call it? Like a low tempered, mild, mild, like somebody who, like they, they're not excitable. Um, it, it tends to be used more in terms of melancholy. Like, do you ever listen to like. They call it emo music, uh, where it's like all they do, it's almost like they're just crying all the time. Like, like that could be considered melancholy as well. Broken dreams. But that's not a feeling. Like, like things that things that you feel. Like I feel. Yeah. Sure. Think of the right word. You're good. Like, like you're not being so, fellowship. Sure, dude. That's that's huge. Uh, when, and I think that inadequate really describes that well. Um, depending on your relationship with your dad, will greatly depend on when you see this passage, and not just this passage, but just about everything that that Jesus says when he's regarding the Father. Or like God as a heavenly father, it skews the way we, we look at it. Uh, there are a lot of people that when they think of their father, rage is what comes to mind. Uh, that um, like uh, there's there's people that we know that um, have had very abusive fathers. Um, in fact, uh, the, you know, some of us in our own families, right? Like we've, we've had people, alcoholics substance abuse, and then in turn, they abuse everyone else. 
Um, it, it's there's a lot of sure workaholics. Um, and, and it's not, yeah, it's not a them for philosophy, so I won't go into it. But no, friendly, sure. Like, there are some dads that are super fun, right? Like, they're the life of the party, they're the ones that like run right in there and play with all the kids, uh, you know, wrestle on them. Um, absolutely. Some of us have incredible fathers who are just like amazing people. Lots of people respect them. Uh, and then others of us have dads that like, they're, they're just the worst. Um, and so with that, your perception of your dad, whether we want it to or not, will come out in the way that you interpret some of this scripture. What's important for us is that Jesus knew fully well that that would be a problem when he said this stuff. Like, he wasn't like, oh, uh, I'm going to use, when you pray, say, our Father who art in heaven, right? Like, he knew fully well that all of these things were going to run through our mind. Yeah, but the last time I asked him, he beat me. Or the last time I asked him, he said no. Or the last time I asked him, you know, like whatever. Like we, we go through all these things, things that, that we interpret from our father. Like I would never go to my dad for advice. Why? Because, you know, and we think like all this stuff. And yet Jesus doesn't even hesitate at all to use this as an analogy. He uses father a lot especially in the book of Matthew, and he uses it quite a bit in the Sermon on the Mount. Um, and I wanted to take a moment here and put this in our minds, because as we start processing some of what's in here, you're going to see, oh, like, that's why. Uh, something that I think that is really important for us to recognize, too, is that like, we can look at this and say every time that God, we, we see God as father or a father figure, uh, we can see the, the perfection that our fathers weren't. Uh, and some of us um, were really hard on our dads. Um, and some of that is for good reason, right? And then others, of, sometimes it's not. Uh, and so here's the thing. Um, the reason why I did this first, even though it doesn't even talk about fathers for a little while, is because the first section actually, I think, deals more with this than what well, most people would apply it to. So here we go. Matthew 7, verse 1. It says this, Do not judge, so that you will not be judged. I think this is one of the most misquoted uh, or misapplied, maybe it's perfectly quoted, but misapplied verses in all of the Bible. I, I hear all the time, people will say, do not judge. You can't judge me. Uh, you can't tell me that I'm a sinner. You can't tell me that I've done something wrong. You can't judge me. Uh, it, what, what's interesting is like, when it comes to like the word love, we know that in the original language, right, there was a bunch of different words that were used. And we only have one word in English, so we just kind of use it for everything. We use it, I love to watch TV. I love pumpkin bread stuff. 
I, I love coffee, right? Like we use love for everything, but we know because we're Americans what we mean by what we say. Uh, I love my wife. Like we recognize, I don't love my wife the same way I love pumpkin bread, uh, right? Like we know the implications of that. But here's the thing, in both English and in Greek, there's only one word for judge. Like there isn't like five words that all get translated as judge in, into English. There's only one word. And so because of that, it creates a lot of confusion. Because then it means you have to do something called discern or use discretion in order to understand how is it supposed to be applied and when is it supposed to be applied and what all does that mean? Go ahead. It means what I get from that is do not judge like judging somebody based on their weight or their, their looks. Sure. But it also says unless he be judged. Sure, we're, we're going to get that. So let's let's just finish reading this, this little section. For, for you will be judged by the same standard which you judge others, and you will be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye, and look, there's a beam of wood in your own eye. Hypocrite. Take... First, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs, or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Here we see uh, that I, I will tell you, I do believe that there are absolutely cases in which you shouldn't be judging at all. And I think that those in turn are included in things like is somebody really saved? Uh, do you guys remember when Kanye West said that he got saved? Uh, and everything you see, I don't know about you, but like my social media feed was like half of these people who are normally like really gracious people, like, you know, they love the Lord, all, you know, and all of a sudden they're like, nope, he's a faker. Like he's just doing it for attention, uh, right? Like, and, and in all reality, most of us who know anything about Kanye know he does a lot of stuff for attention. So is that something he would do? I don't know. Uh, but a lot of people defended him too. And they were like, dude, you don't know him. You've never met him. You've never sat with him in his living room and talked to him and heard his heart. How dare you say that he's not actually saved? If he said he gave his life to the Lord, why wouldn't we just say, okay, we'll see. Or, like, give him at least the benefit of the doubt, right? Like, he, that's, like, I think the most recent, like, super major one. There was also Marilyn Manson. Who, uh, okay, so Kanye, at the beginning of 2020, goes, hey, I got saved. He starts hosting concerts in the park, traveling all over, doing worship services. And he, like, is hardly involved in anything. The choir is the main attraction, basically. And he has guests come. Well, then he does this performance with his new album, and he brings out Marilyn Manson and somebody else, I can't remember, I think it's Justin Bieber, maybe, but um, again, there was this big hoop-de-hoop about how, well, Marilyn Manson can't be saved. I don't, did anybody hear anything about that? No? Okay. Anybody I can be saved. Yeah, and, and, and people were like, he's just doing it for money. Like, uh, Marilyn Manson is probably faking it because he's 
currently, and, and this is true, that, that he is absolutely on trial for, uh, he's going to go to jail for a really long time. <laughs> uh, we'll just say that. But because of that, like people are like, well, he's not even repentant. Like he's just doing it as a show, trying to, to basically, uh, because he's so well known, right? Like if you were to be on his jury, you would have to have no clue who he is in order to give an unbiased answer. And so what he's trying to do is a publicity stunt because most Christians maybe wouldn't know who he is because he's known for, but if you do know who he is, everybody thinks, associates him with like demonic stuff and black magic and all that stuff. And, and for me, like it's, it's so interesting to watch how Christians respond, who some are, are incredibly gracious. You know, we're not saying he is, we're not saying he's not. We just don't know and we'll find out. There's a day where we'll find out. And then there's other people, no, uh, he's a false prophet. Like, we ought to treat him like one. We can't even, like, and he's not, like, preaching or anything. He just stands at a concert and says, I'm saved. That's it. Um, but what we do is this. We judge. Uh, we predetermine at, at first meeting, because maybe some of us even do it with people that we've known for a really long time. There's no way you're saved. I, I know you. Like, you're not saved. This is the, the issue, uh, I think, that Jesus faces with his brothers, right? When he says a prophet can't be welcomed in his hometown. Everybody's like, yeah, we know you're not who you like, are claiming to be. Uh, like, we're not impressed by you, Jesus the carpenter, right? Like, that's basically what they're saying. They're, they're making a judgment. Um, I think you can apply this to, to salvation issues. Uh, whether or not somebody is saved. Now we are told, right? There's a lot of scriptures that back up. There's ways you can tell somebody's saved. Uh, people who spend a lot of time in ministry, right? Like you're constantly working with people and you see the fruit in their life. Like there is that. But if somebody says, I'm saved, or I just gave my life to Christ, the only way you're going to tell, right, is by the fruit that follow. Uh, what he's saying here, though, is oftentimes, I think, is more applicable, uh, this passage to me, is more applicable in, in close relationships. People you know really well, like dads uh, and moms um, and, and siblings, right? Like how many of you guys ha have heard of, maybe, maybe this is you, but have like a, a family member or something and they don't talk to each other anymore. Uh, they've created so much division over time that like my mom, for example, my mom's family is incredibly divided. Um, like my mom tries to communicate with everyone because she really tries to be gracious and loving, but they don't ever do anything together anymore. When I was a kid, we did everything together. Um, the crazy stuff happens, unforgiveness happens, bitterness sets in, judgments take place, and we just label you, so to speak, or we just say, no, forever from now on, you're guilty. And until you apologize or until you tell me you're sorry or repent to me, I'm not going to forgive you or I'm not going to ever let you off the hook. Um, a lot of us, I see this all the time where, where people will make judgments about their dad and then literally go and do the same exact thing that their dad does. Um, uh, how many of you guys have seen like somebody who's like, oh, you, you would never, like my dad was like the worst. And then like 10 minutes later, you're like, you're literally doing what you just said you hated your dad did. The reason they do that is because of a judgment. Uh, they're getting stuck into a place to where they think they know better than God. They think they know better than the person. They're, they're, one of the things that you see later on in scripture is that Jesus says that when you do that, 
uh, you are considering yourself the judge, uh, that you are in a place of righteousness, and that you have the ability to put forth that, that judgment. Uh, now, we do see here that what Jesus ends up going with it is that he's like, look, um, some of you are judging your dad. Some of you are judging people around you. You're saying this or that about them. But then what does he say? Take the splinter out of your eye or the wood, the plank of wood out of your eye so that you can see clearly to remove the, the speck of dust or the splinter in the other person's eye. Here we see that the problem, what, where the problem lies is when people are self-righteous and start applying things that they shouldn't. Uh, go ahead. Hmm. You're agreeing with me or what? Yeah. All right. Yay, I got an agreement. Uh, <laughs> not used to that. There we go. Uh, so I, I do think, you know, when he's using this, this illustration, so to speak, like this ridiculous, you have a whole plank of wood. If you have a plank of wood, you can't see nothing. Uh, you know, and you see this in people, right? Like they're so full of bitterness and unforgiveness, uh, you know, and that their vision is absolutely impaired. That when they treat other people, it's never well. Uh, and they could call themselves Christians. And in fact, I know more people who are Christians uh, that do this than people who aren't. Um, and Jesus here is saying, first, take the beam of wood out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. I, I think that the goal of this passage ultimately is, like, let's get the junk out of everybody's eyes so that we can all see clearly. Uh, I think that that's what he's after. Like, hey, I, I want you to be able to, to see what's going on in a healthy way. You can see other people for the way that God sees them, and vice versa. Go ahead. Sure, sure. Same, but more like in order to help other people, you have to help yourself. Yeah, like that's kind of like a wide, wide opener for me because it's like kind of wallowing in self pity. Sure. It's like well, in order for me to help other people, I need to start doing it for myself. Sure. And so taking this and saying, okay, what's going on in my life? Allowing Jesus to examine us. And then dealing with the junk in our life, which would require repentance, right? Like in order to remove the beam, you would have to repent in order for you to then see clearly. And that's good. And then you can be like, hey, uh, Luke, I noticed, you know, man, you got a splinter up in there. Uh, I'd like to help you get it out. Here's the thing. Like we see... Matthew 18 is, is super clear, right? Like what most of the time this passage, do not judge, gets used for is when people don't want accountability. Uh, for me, that's when I always say it. It's like you just don't want people to be able to tell you that what you're doing is sin. And the reality is that, that there are a lot of people who are jerks who do try to call people out on all kinds of things, and they're just being jerks. But then there are also people who really love the snot out of you. And, and they want to see you flourish. And they want to see you grow. And they, they, they love you to death. But most people that people like me end up pushing away because we're not used to it. Yeah. And pushing the ones that really care and keeping the ones that treat you like dirty. Absolutely. I think this is, like, for me, as a dad... Uh, like you, you can see 
this particular thing at least taking place in in our in our kids. Uh, okay, hold on. So like like our kids will will do things and they don't even see like what, like the full picture, right? All they see is what they're seeing through their lens. But I just stood there and watched everything take place. I watched what they did. I watched what they did. And I watched what they did, right? And like you make a call, like I, as a as a dad, part of my job is to discipline, right? Like part of my job is to assess the situation and to, to be righteous. Uh, I can't show bias, right? Like, and, and to be able to, to 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 put down what needs to be put down, but it doesn't mean my kids see the situation clearly. And oftentimes, I my I have two kids in particular that they often. Times they the way that they look at it is no matter what the kid is innocent, and no matter what the dad is guilty, right? Like, uh, and and what this is, that's what this is talking about is that you're always taking the place that you are righteous. There the the belief system oftentimes it says like how could a good God, uh, you know, allow for innocent people? Like like have you ever heard that? Like that assumes that people are innocent, and the Bible always assumes that people are guilty. And until proven righteous through the blood of Christ. So like, you're not righteous, you're not innocent, until Jesus' blood covers your sin and allows you to start living righteously. But, well, it would be not ours. Well, um, who knows? Um, it's supposed to be. So anyway, let's keep going. Verse 7. Glenn's up in here. Uh, no, verse 7. Yeah, we already did four. Asking it will be given to you. Hold on. What time is it? Uh, let's keep... Let's, like, actually, let's jump down. Um, no, you're right. Yeah, let's do it. Verse 7. Asking it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know much more, or sorry, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, you want others. Is that me? Yeah. My phone just started playing, huh? I don't even know what that is. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. That's the golden rule right there. But this is where I'm confused. Okay. Because in verse six that you skipped, it says, "Do not give dogs what is sacred." Sure. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. Don't throw so pearls before swine. They yeah. may trample them under their feet and turn yeah, and tear them huge pieces. How can you tell if you're helping somebody? But how can you tell if they're not a pig or a dog? Sure. That would require using discretion or using using some form of ability to judge. And discernment is a form of judging, right? Like, uh, this is actually, there's a book called, uh, it's Dietrich Bonhoeffer's biographer, Pastor, Martyr, Prophet, Spy is what it's called. And there was a, a big time evangelist during the time of Nazi Germany who was adamant that Hitler just needed to get saved. Um, and it's true, but, and, and it's also true that 
uh, you know, God can save anybody, right? Like it's also true that Jesus died for the whole world uh, and, and that doesn't leave out Hitler. Um, but one of the things that Dietrich Bonhoeffer would use is this verse to describe Hitler was that the people who, who tried to get close to him so that they could lead him to the Lord ended up oftentimes it went, didn't go good. Uh, and so, but that's what it says, right? Is don't give dogs what is holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet, turn and tear you to pieces. Like what pigs will do with something that's precious is destroy. And, and that's what this is saying. Now, does, does that mean God won't ever work on them or that he couldn't? No, it doesn't. But there are times when, like for us, like as we do a lot of stuff on the street, like this is something that I pray through, is that am I supposed to talk to this person? Because if they're going to, like if they're just going to be a pig or a dog about it, right? Like I need to move on. Uh, and that's part of what I think that this is talking about. Well, it's like, like for example, well, not naming any names, but when certain people, uh, like in, in an effort to be a blessing, will take people into their homes, and then people rob them and steal from them, and uh, you know, abuse their house, abuse their kids, uh, like all kinds of things will happen because you brought in, you're giving something precious to something that doesn't deserve it. Does that make sense? Not, not just deserve it, but doesn't understand, doesn't have the capacity to, to use it well. Their pigs will do what pigs do. They will trample it and turn and cut you to pieces. Now, again, God can soften anybody's heart. So there, there is an element of faith that maybe they're a pig today, but tomorrow they'll be a pigeon. I don't know. I don't know. Is that a good? I don't know. Um, I, I just think it's something to consider. Um, so here we go. Uh, we go on, and it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Ask, seek, and knock. There, there's a particular way that uh, the Greek reads that English doesn't. And it, it's basically given the, the idea that it's a continual asking. It's a continual knocking. It's a continual seeking. And what he goes on to say is, though, that, that you who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your kids, and your kid's like, hey, I'm hungry, you're not going to give them a snake. Right? Like, no, like we're evil. Uh, and he's saying then that, like, God, he's not going to do that. Like, if you can give good gifts, like a biscuit to your kid who's hungry, how much more will your Father in Heaven give to those who ask? And I'll, a lot of people will use this as a, a justification for slot machine praying, right? Like, uh, or vending machine, right? Like, if I put my quarter in, God said to ask, and he'll give me what I asked for. Bam! Put it in the machine, I want E5. And then we get upset and we well, well forget it. I don't even believe in God because I didn't get what I wanted. God says that he'll provide for us. He doesn't say that he'll give us what we want. And that's exactly I think he part of where this passage is going. To live, but he's not a genie in a bottle. Right. I can't say, hey, God, can I have a Maserati? Right. Well, that's why I said it's probably more like a vending machine. Because that's what that's how we treat it. Like I want this, so if I put my quarter in, I'll get what I want. And we 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 use it as a way. It, it's it's really it's idolatry, 
right? Because we think that we put ourselves in the place of God. And if we tell him to do something, he's going to do what I want him to do. And it's vice versa. What I think that this is really applied to uh, is, is that, like, when we come and we're doing what he said to do earlier, right? In chapter, I think it's five or six, where he says, seek first the kingdom and his righteousness. Uh, that when we're doing that, when you're asking and you're seeking and you're knocking at the door of the kingdom and you're going after the kingdom, you'll get what you're asking for because what you're getting or asking for ultimately has to do with what God already wants to give. I, I think like my dad, uh, when we were growing up, oftentimes my dad would tell us like, sometimes what you're asking for, you don't always know what you're going to get. You may get the answer to your prayer or you may get what you asked for, but what you didn't realize was that what you asked for, you didn't realize you didn't want. Uh, and so like, like sometimes he would say like, sometimes the answer is yes, sometimes the answer is no, and sometimes the answer is maybe or later. Uh, that that you, The reason why this implies a continual asking, it, it goes too with uh, the passage where Jesus tells the story of the lady who goes to the judge and bangs on the door, right? And, and the judge is like, leave me alone. I'm sleeping. It's the middle of the night. And she's like, give, give me justice for my adversary, right? Like she bangs all night long. And then finally, because he's tired of her pestering him, he's like, fine, whatever you want, because you won't leave me alone. Uh, right? Like that's the same implication that he's trying to emphasize here, is that what you're looking for, when you're looking for something that's good and righteous, keep going for it. Uh, and he will give it. Then he ends it with, therefore, do what you want. Do what. There, verse 12. Therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them. For this is the law and the prophets. Uh, uh, you could say this guy here, um, France is his name. One of the things he says is this. This is basically also a fulfillment of the second greatest commandment. To love one another. Uh, love your brothers as yourself. And he's, he's using this as a way to just say that what the prophets are calling you to do is go back to the right to the Old Testament, to the law, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and strength, and to love others as yourself. Like he's just drawing you right back in. Um, and I wanted to, to get here. Uh, so I'm going to skip down. Verse 15. Be on your guard against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by their fruit. Here we, we see very clearly, like when Jesus is saying don't judge, he's not using that as like an all-encompassing don't ever judge, right? Because here he's telling you, you judge. You judge prophets. Uh, you look at the fruit in their lives. Which can be both what? Like character, right? It should be partly character. It could be the fruits of the spirit. Like you see love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness in their lives. Or are they just angry and bitter? Uh, full of rage. Like, what's what are they like? Uh, are, are people coming to know the Lord? Like, that's a type of fruit. Um, and so, let's keep going. Uh, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, 
but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name, drive out demons in your name, and do many miracles in your name? Then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. Which is a quote from Psalms 6, 8. Um, what, what's interesting to me is that, um, number one, I, I think that this here, he, he's assuming, number one, that there will be prophets. Um, and I think that, that churches, um, beliefs that would say that that stuff is done. I don't think that that's, uh, Jesus here is discipling his people and telling them to expect people to be prophets and to decide whether or not they're false or true by their fruit. What would be the point in telling them if it, everything was going to stop, right? There wouldn't be any need, um, then he also tells them this is how you know whether or not they're true, right? So that they're well equipped to discern who's good and who's bad, who's the true prophet, who's a bad prophet. But you also see this, uh, that at the judgment day, right, people are going to stand before him and say like, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? Uh, do you guys remember there's a, a passage where... Um, Early on in Jesus' ministry, some other people's disciples are running around using the name of Jesus to, to, to do things. And the disciples are like, Jesus, like they're using your name. You can't tell them to stop. And Jesus is like, uh, you know, if they're not, I can't remember his response. But he basically is like, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Uh, and, and you see, though, that uh, even in, in the book of Acts, there's a story where a guy is using these Jews are using Jesus's name to cast out demons, right? And then eventually they run into one and they, they actually turn and beat the snot out of them and they, they steal their clothes. Uh, do you guys remember that at all? Uh, and, and the reasoning for that is like, is like this. Like they're not saved. The people that are using the name of Jesus were not saved. They didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And what's crazy is that this, this fulfills, uh, or not fulfills, but this is talking about uh, when when the Ten Commandments says, don't use the Lord's name in vain. This is what he's talking about. Like there are people who will look at the reality that Jesus' name will do stuff. There's power in the name of Jesus, right? Like we know that. Uh, you can cast out demons in the name of Jesus. You can. And people will see that there's power in that name and they'll, they'll get full of ideas like, oh, like, if I use that, one, I could get attention, right? Because prophets get attention. Uh, people that speak in tongues get attention. Like, I could do all of these spiritual things that will make me look like a good Christian or like a super charismatic Christian. Like, you, you can see all of this fruit, right? Like, there's there's good fruit. People are, are being delivered. Demons are leaving. People are being healed. But but inside, it's not not so. They don't know Jesus. Depart from me. I never knew you. They, what, what's interesting that this guy points out too is that like they're self-deceived. They think that they know Jesus and they don't. To me, that, that's incredibly interesting. Um, but I just wanted to say one thing. It, all, it, all, it feels like what you're talking about before about flipping works and faith. Yeah. It feels like the same exact thing. Because yeah. the first thing they list is, is what they're doing. Is 
every bullet point on their Christian resume. Yeah. That uh, these works that they these do, are the works that I do. They yeah. Them into heaven. That that's absolutely that's that's exactly what it is. And, it, and I think that there are times for some of us who grew up with with good dads who had really strong work ethics. Like we get into this mode of like I got to do something. Uh, like especially if what if your love language is is acts of service, right? Like you're the way that you would show the Lord how much you love Him is by doing. Uh, like, I need to do stuff because I need him to know that I love you. And there are times when, have you ever been in a marriage with somebody whose love language isn't yours? Oh, yeah, I'm the only one? Good. Uh, yeah, and in the reality, for me, like, I'm an acts of service person, and my wife is a quality time. She doesn't care if I clean the whole house by myself. What she cares is that I didn't spend, I didn't spend two hours with her, sitting on a couch, just talking. That's what she cares about. And in my brain, I'm going, yeah, but then the house doesn't get clean. And then, like, you know what I mean? Like, I did a lot of stuff, but I miss, I, I still miss her heart. So for me, I have to work really hard to be happy with sitting on a couch. Not always. You can make time. Well, there's other ways to do it, yeah. But, yeah, anyway. Uh, let's keep going. We're almost, yeah. Therefore, anyone who hears these words, sorry, I'm driven in 24. Anyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house in the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew and pounded that house. Yet it didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed. It collapsed with a great crash. Here we see that one of the things that Jesus is saying is, I, I think that the rock here is an analogy for Jesus. That when we've built our, 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 our lives around and on the foundation of the things that he teaches, right? Uh, that we will be in a place of safety. We'll be in a place that no matter what comes against you, uh, you're not going to be shaken. Uh, you, know, you, you won't have to worry about your, your house coming down and collapsing. Uh, but He's using this as a way to say, like, people who basically do what he says, right? Remember one of our, our core values is hearing and doing. Like, it's important to hear the word, right? It's important to read the Bible. But there are a lot of people that just read the Bible and don't do anything about it, right? Like, we've seen those people. Like, we won't mention any particular states that are full of them or anything, but uh, it. It's crazy to me. Like you, you'll talk to people who can quote crazy amounts of scripture, but they have no ounce of grace in them at all. They've missed the heart of God. Uh, I, I've, and it, it, it's, it's like all you have to do is do it, right? Like, like do what you know to do. To me, do you ever hear anybody talk about like I want to go deeper in the Lord? Like I hear that often. If you want to go deeper, do the things you know. Just do the things you know to do. Like, like, you don't have to get overwhelmed with, like, Jesus said a lot of things. You're the ones you remember. Like, just start there. And then the more that you do those things, the more you can add to your life. Uh, one of the things that we bring up to our kids often, treat others the way you want to be treated. Like, if that's all you can remember, just do that. Like, well, I know that I don't like to be talking disrespectfully to. 
So I'm not going to do that to the, the people around me. Just start there. Start with what you know. And as you do that, you will build your house on a solid foundation. Uh, it ends with this. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching because he was teaching them like one who had authority and not like their scribes. It, it's interesting to me because one of the, the themes that you see that Matthew is he's writing to a, a primarily Jewish audience. He's, he's trying to convince Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. And one of the things he says in chapter 1 is that he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. And you see this theme throughout the whole book of Matthew where he's constantly showing you little hints. Like the reason why people were astonished ultimately because he was teaching with, as one who had authority is because he's God. He has the authority to do it. He, he wrote the law. <laughs> he, he was right there. And I think that it's, for, for me at least, when I read the Sermon on the Mount, it's there's so much stuff in here that you could read it in an angry tone and even then it, it brings peace to my heart. Like, it, it doesn't matter uh, like if you say it in a, a smile or not. It's just weird. Like, the, the words in here to me are so beautiful and yet compelling. Uh, it makes me want to obey. It Like, I, like I want to do better. I, I want to serve him. And more than anything, it makes me want to know him more. Like, I, I don't want to just be the kind of person that only ever reads the Bible and doesn't actually spend time with it. Uh, I don't know, like, some of us, just practically speaking, um, what does that even mean? Uh, like, you read some of the, the other works, and you're like, oh, like, uh, if, in order for me to spend time with them, I have to, to do unto others, or I have to... I don't know, give to the poor or fast or, or stuff like that. And that's good. You, you know, fasting is fine. Praying is good. But you can get in a place to where you're praying, but you're never like, it's a one-way street. It's no different than you talking to a wall because you're doing all the talking and you're not stopping to listen. Uh, the relationship part, the knowing part, re requires relationship, which re assumes both parties get to be a part of it. Relationships that are only one way don't last very long. In, in, in any way. Doesn't matter if you're married or not, right? Like if your friends never respond to you, do you ever call? You, eventually you quit calling. Uh, apparently they don't want to talk to me. I'm the only person that's ever had that kind of experience. Uh, let's pray. Lord, we humble ourselves before you and we ask for your help. Lord, help us to know you. Give us mercy, please. Some of us, I've just... We just jack things up. Lord, we need you. Lord, help us not to judge. Help us know when to judge. Help us to know when uh, false prophets are among us. Help us to be able to see the fruit. 
Lord, may, may we never be the kind of people that get to heaven and are shocked because of all the things that we've done, but we didn't know you. Lord, help us to build our foundation on you, the rock. In Jesus' name, amen.